0: Good morning. Good morning. Oh, you're all so lively today. Is it the pollen? <laughs> Let's try again. Good morning. Good morning. All right, much better. Well, here we are in week three. We're going to, before I recap where we've been, I want to do a little something with you this morning. And uh, so while I'm setting you up with what we're going to do, I, if you're a person who likes to write on paper, get a piece of paper and get a pen out. Uh, if you can do that on your phone, just open a note and you can type it into your phone. But we're just going to take a we're going to take like two minutes here, and i want to do a little exercise with you. Uh, if you're online, you can do the same thing. You can either grab some paper, uh, you can put it on your phone, or if you're bold and you want to put it in the chat, um, you can do that. You may not want to when you realize what the ask is going to be. Uh, but uh, all right, so I'll give you a. Another 10 seconds to get that ready. looks like everybody has their phones out here, ready to go. All right, so 30 seconds, I'm going to time you, 30 seconds, it hasn't started yet. In 30 seconds, I want you to type or write down as many of the frustrations you have had this week or beyond this week as possible, ready, set, go. 30 seconds, as many of the frustrations you've had this week or beyond this week, writing down as many of the frustrations that you've had this week or beyond this week in 30 seconds. All right, stop where you're at. So that was 30 seconds. Writing down as many of the frustrations you've had this week or beyond this week. Now, go below that. If you're in your phone, go below it in your note. If you're on paper, go beside it, okay? I'm going to give you another 30 seconds. These 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to write down as many of the things that you can think of from this week or beyond that you're grateful for. Ready, set, go. As many of the things this week or beyond that you're grateful for. All right, stop. Now, without revealing what you've written down, because you don't have to, and this is why I said you may not want to put it in the chat, which of those two was easier to do? And, and by easier, I mean like it just bubbled up. You didn't have to give it much thought. Call it out. Grateful? Grateful? Really? No? <laughs> so, so, so some of you are the exception. <laughs> So how many for the frustration? Yeah, you, know, you can put this in the chat too. All right. And then how many for the grateful? It was easier with the grateful? All right. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, which caused your emotions to stir as you wrote them? <laughs> okay, so here's the equalizer. This is, this is why I'm asking two questions because sometimes when we're in church we know the right answer and we know like and that may even be the legit answer but we're still human and we're still wired a particular way the the frustrations and the struggles typically are the ones that stir us the most and we have to consciously think about what we're grateful for see it's in our nature to get caught in frustration but before i go into that let's recap where we've been so we're coming off the path series into the tood series, and the path series, our key phrase was what? Say it out loud. My direction, not my intentions, determines my destination. Uh, and so we've already, we've already covered that a thousand ways from this past Sunday, so uh, we've got that, right? My direction, not my intentions, determines my destination. In this series, our key phrase has been what? My attitude determines the condition and the potential of my arrival. say that with me. my attitude determines the condition and potential of my arrival and we broke that down the first two weeks. And last week we set the stage with um, you know we, we, we did, in the first two weeks we defined attitude and we said you know two things, two definitions that were important for us a settled way of thinking that's typically demonstrated in your behavior. that's one of the main definitions of attitude and the other one was orientation. In relationship to the direction of travel. And we we put those two together. We examined them. We talked about how that applies to us. We did the nose up, nose down thing with disc golf. We had the planes last week, and we were talking about how what we believe, what we keep, and who we trust all determine whether or not we're going to be effective when we engage, right? Those are things that we've covered the last two weeks, and we went pretty deep on those. And I said to you last week, this, this is a lot. It's a lot of information to take in, and it, it's a lot of things that we could reflect on for quite a while, and, pro- and should. We should be actively wrestling through these things and thinking about, what do we believe? What do we keep? Who do we trust? Am I approaching this moment, nose up, nose down? Is my attitude set so that I'm going to be effective as I engage and arrive at my destination in good condition? But then I I teed it up last week and I said, is there an attitude that if we look in Scripture, is there an attitude that God says, if we could just keep this as our attitude all the time, that it's going to help orient us to every situation in a way that honors him? Because remember, going all the way back to week one, when when we talk about not thinking of ourselves, not having vain conceit, ultimately, the way we truly think of others, keep our eyes off ourselves is to look for God's good purpose in every moment, God's good purpose in every conversation we have, God's good purpose in every interaction that we have, every decision we make at work, every decision we make at school. And so is there an attitude that can help us by default focus on his good purpose and keep all these other things, what we believe, what we keep, who we trust, keep all of that in check so that we're not all over the place with our attitude and and one minute crash and burn and the next minute we make it across the room. And there is, that's the good news. That's what we're going to talk about this week. There is an attitude that God says will hold us through all of that. And that is very simply the attitude of gratitude. Now, How many of you have heard that phrase before? Attitude of gratitude. Okay. Very good. Very good. So attitude of gratitude, oftentimes that is put out sort of as this Platitude. Hey, there we go. We're going to see as many rhymes, as many words as we can put together that have platitude in it. Attitude, gratitude, platitude. So, but we hear that as a platitude, attitude of gratitude. And so, what that typically does in us is we're like, okay, I've got to put on the face, right? I got to put on that, I'm so grateful to be here this morning. You know, and you know, when you look behind that face, it's like that smile isn't real. Like, that's not you're not really grateful. You're putting it on. It's very, very hard to maintain an attitude of gratitude. Our exercise really demonstrated that because which one stirred your emotions? Frustration, right? Almost everybody said that. The one that stirred my emotions as I was writing it was my frustrations. And so if frustrations are what get our emotions stirred up, it's super hard to actually be excited and genuinely engaged in an attitude of gratitude. We can put an attitude of gratitude on as a mask, but we all know after 15 months of wearing masks, that's not really what's happening in behind, right? Or we can't really tell what's happening in behind. See, it's our nature To get caught up in those frustrations. And we get stuck in those things because it stirs our emotions. Those emotions get stirred on what we're frustrated with. Why? Let me ask that question Why do things frustrate you? Why, why, when things frustrate you, does it stir your emotions? Let me ask it differently because that's not helpful. Um, Who (laughs) is the center of the focus on the things that you're frustrated with? Right, yeah, which goes all the way back to what we were talking about, vain conceit, right? I, my emotions are stirred, I'm frustrated because it's something that I can't make happen or i it's not going the way I want it to. And God says we have the ability to short-circuit that. He has given us the ability to short-circuit that. That may be natural to our human wiring, but he's given us the ability to short-circuit it by adjusting the, the ways in which we think and so we're going to look in Philippians 4 today because Paul breaks down a couple of things that really align with what we talked about last week, what we believe, what we keep, and who we trust. So with that in mind, turn with me over to Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7. Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Some of you may know this, uh, this, this um, parts of this chapter. Because the parts of this chapter are things that you'll see, you know, posted in religious stores or, you know, on the signs and stuff like that in people's homes. But there's a lot around this where Paul is, is really trying to help the Philippians live differently than their default. So when we come into chapter four, he's already unpacked so much for us over the course of this uh, chapter, uh, over the course of this book. Talking about attitude, and he's he's gonna finish this strong, and he finishes it this way. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand for, firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now let me pause there for a second. What do you think stirs Paul's emotions? Just by him writing that. I mean, I've read I've read through the gospels, I've read a lot of Paul's writing, and so. He doesn't seem to be somebody who would put out a platitude, right? Just because it's a letter. Like we write a letter and be like, oh, you're so wonderful and blah, 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 blah. I don't hear that here, right? What stirs him? He says, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Why are we his joy and his crown? Why were the Philippians his joy and his crown? Because we, he, these were the people he had invested in. These were the ones that it was God's good purpose for him to invest in them, to disciple them, to develop them as a people. And now they're having the opportunity to live it out and they're having successes and they're having failures. But the more that they learn to mature in that and live in it, the more it's a reflection of what God did through Paul. So Paul's not saying it's my honor. It's, Paul's like, you're my joy and my crown because if you look elsewhere in scripture, we'll eventually lay our crowns down before Jesus when we stand before him one day in heaven. And the crowns are all the achievements, all the things that we've done. But if you, look, if you read carefully through scripture, you'll see that all those achievements, all the crowns that we'll lay down, they're not, they're not our accolades. They're not just the things that we accomplished and the trophies that we have. It's all the things that we've done for the kingdom of God. All the things we've done for his good purpose. So when Paul says, you're my joy and my crown, he's saying, you're one of those things, you're one of those opportunities where God has worked through me and and my gifts and my abilities were used entirely for you and for what he wanted to accomplish in you. That stirs him. And he says, stand firm. And he has a little address. There's a little side note here. You catch these with Paul every now and then because he's dealing with people. He cares about people development. And so he's not just writing a letter to say, here's a bunch of information and and here's some nice things to say about you. Go on your way, be well. No, he he throws this right here. You're my joy and my crown. I plead with Judea and Syntyche, please be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So before he starts giving us the tips here, he's, he's taking a sidebar and he's saying, Man, this I, I mean this for all of you. But I see that Yudia and Syntyche, they, they're, they're, they're they're not maybe together and, and, and of the same mind. They and others like Clement, they need some encouragement. He's stirred because he appreciates who they are. He appreciates the work they've done together, serving the Lord. And then he goes on. He gives us the tip. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to god and the peace of god who transcends all understanding which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus we could probably spend an entire message on those two verses alone but let me let me break it down very simply that's the attitude of gratitude that's the attitude of gratitude and what he's what he's giving us there as he's as he's urging the community to help Judea and Syntyche and Clement and others who've served alongside of him, what what he's doing there is he's saying, look, this is how you do it. This is how you encourage one another. This is how you invest in one another. This is how you keep God's good purpose in focus as you do it. You first and foremost rejoice in the Lord. You're gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to, to all. You know, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why the world has a hard time wrestling with Jesus is not because they don't value the teachings, and it's not because they don't see wisdom. It's because it's very, very difficult to see the exact example of Christ in his followers. And I don't, I don't lay that on you and say, well, you know, we're you know, bad people. I'm saying, We're human, and it's super hard, right? And we don't always do a great job of it. It was true back then in Jesus' day that disciples should reflect the master that they served, And you would know the true teachings of that master by looking at the disciples. We say that differently because we pull a different scripture within the church, and we say, where's the fruit? How do you know the root of the tree is good? You look at the fruit. If the fruit is good, the root is good, right? But yet, in the Western church in particular, we probably represent our culture more than we represent our master. We have the knowledge, but then we don't have the reflection. And the world looks at that the same way as they did in history. And I mean this in every direction, too. I don't mean this to cut one way or the other. There are people who, in order to placate and be popular in the world, have completely given up the teachings or have completely rewritten the teachings of Jesus and created a Jesus that looks nothing like who God presented him to be in order to be popular in the world. And then there are those who have the the other Jesus that... It's like, I could never be, you know, I could, there's no grace. It's an arrogant Jesus who's all condemnation, all judgment. And inevitably, you see this spectrum of Jesuses. Well, those spectrum of Jesuses don't reflect who Jesus really was, reflects who we are, what we think. We've recreated God in our own image. And the world goes, I'm just looking at a bunch of people. And so the preference then is to take the teachings, take the things that they like, leave the rest behind. Paul knows the Philippians are just as at risk to do that. And so when he says to them, rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, let the things that God has been doing and investing in you be evident in how you love and how you care for one another. And then he adds this piece. The Lord is near. When you were teenagers and your parents were near, wasn't your behavior different? Yeah, see, I'm I'm hearing the laughter. (laughs) <laughs> us, us who are older are laughter. I don't hear laughter from the younger, right? right? You know, it's like, uh-huh, you're not supposed to know that. You're not supposed to really pay attention. It's like, okay, we're not stupid. Although every media outlet and every cartoon and everything now paints parents as idiots, we're really not. That's all I needed was, was child laughter to prove my point. Paul says, the Lord is near. And he says that for two reasons. It's not just for the heaviness of the weight of God's presence and his authority and the reminder that we should represent him and not our own interests. But look at the next thing he says. Don't be anxious. He says it because here's the other thing. If danger was happening around you when you were a kid and your parents were near, were you more or less afraid? Typically less. Now I don't know your family situation. Maybe you had, maybe you had the type of parent that when they were near, you were afraid because that was danger. And so I don't mean to, I don't mean to minimize that, but normally when your parents were near, you were less afraid. Why? Because you knew that they had the wisdom and the life experience to probably handle and you're looking at them and going, is this safe, is this not safe? And you're taking their cue, your cue for emotion off of them. So Paul gives us the Philippians to say both of these things. Let your life demonstrate the wonder and the awe and the holiness of God. Give honor, demonstrate that honor to God by how you live your life. But at the same time, don't be anxious. And in that one statement, the Lord is near, he addresses both ways that the gospel gets perverted to be friendly with the world or to be completely resistant to grace. He says, "Just, just like, bring the anxiety down. Bring the fear down. Bring the arrogance down. The Lord is near. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then he gives us this promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will be with you. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I want to give you a phrase to remember that. If we take what Paul unpacks in, this, in the, just this paragraph, we can put it this way. Peace from God follows thanks toward God. Peace from God follows thanks toward God. If I'm able to rejoice in the Lord, if I'm able to think of the, great, the gratitude that I have for every single thing that I've been given, even in the moments where I feel like things are being taken from me, if I'm able to be thankful toward God, because notice he doesn't say rejoice, and just leaves it that. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. What does he mean? Celebrate what God has done. Right? Let me take you completely out of this context. Those of you who invest for your retirement, right? Or, you know, if you've invested in a 401k, those of you who look at the stock market at all, those of you who look at economics at all, if you've never done that, just, you know, hit pause and just listen for a second. Yeah, because I don't want to go like over your head, but I think it'll make sense if you just listen carefully. So, like, the, so. The market goes up and down, up and down, up and down all the time. And when you invest for retirement, you don't make major investment decisions because of a spike or a drop that has happened in the market right now. You make the investment looking at over time, what is the trend? Is it continuing to move forward? And what Paul is saying to them is rejoice in the Lord. Look at all of the things he has done throughout your life and your history and the lives of those around you. And so when there is the spike or there is the drop, you can say, no, 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 I remember. The Lord has done. I will be grateful for what he has done. And then in the spike and in the drop, we can go, okay, you know what? We'll let the spike happen. We'll let the drop happen. We're going to continue on the trend. We're going to come through the other side. It's been hard to sustain that over this last year and a half. Because even those of us who are mature enough to know that as information have had a hard time being able to sustain that. But he says rejoice. And then he gives us that other piece in every situation by prayer and petition. Stay close talking to God. Stay close, keep asking God for what you need. It's okay. But don't ever let it be apart from recognizing the promises and the wonders of what he has already done. So the peace from God follows thanks towards God. And that peace he describes as one that transcends all understanding. That means no matter what situation you're in, if you can think about and be grateful for the things that God has done over time, there is a peace that's going to settle in and you're going to be like, you know what? God's got this. God's got this. Beyond everything I know, beyond anything I know is going to happen tomorrow, I don't, have a, I don't have a crystal ball and I should never use one, right? It's just beyond all the things I could possibly know, I know God's got this. We start with the thanks towards God and then his peace guards our hearts and guards our minds. We already know the opposite of that, so I don't have to unpack that for you. Like, we know what it's like to not have God's peace guard our minds. That's why our emotions stir when we write those things we're frustrated with. Peace from God follows thanks towards God. Then he goes on right into the next piece. So that's the, that's the what we believe, right? So we connect that to last week, what I believe? Do I believe that God has done these things? Do I know the things that God has promised? Am I seeing him deliver on his promise? Am I seeing the fruit of his kingdom continuing to move regardless of how humanity is up and down and up and down? But what about the things that we keep? This is the verse you may see like on wall plaques or whatever. Um, This is a great one, but it's really hard for us to keep as a present reality. Look at Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Think on such things. Dwell on. Dwell, ruminate. Okay, what do we typically dwell and ruminate on? <laughs> the frustrations, right? Like that's the things that eats our lunch, right? We we those are the things that eat, eat our lunch. They, they're the things that when they happen, we're like, oh, I can't believe. It. And then the first thing we want to tell somebody when they come in, oh, you don't know what happened at work. And then my boss said, and did you realize it so and so? Did you know that so right? We dwell on those things. It's easy. That's default behavior. That's a default attitude. And what we already know is a default attitude, a default human attitude is going to crash. I didn't say that in the first two weeks because I didn't want to depress you, but that's the truth of it. Just like the default direction of getting on 81 is going to take us to Orleans, New York, the default direction for humanity is to crash. And we can go back and we can blame Adam and Eve for it. We can do all that, right? We can be the victims and we can say, well, it's all their fault. If they hadn't eaten the an apple and listened to the snake and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Every single time we pick up a frustration and we dwell on it, we are in it. We have done it then. Right? They didn't choose to do that for you. You chose to do that. I choose to do that. Paul says, no, 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 no. What we believe is one thing. What do we keep? And how do you keep? How do you keep the attitude of gratitude? Gratitude. You have to dwell on the things that are good, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is noble, what is righteous and trustworthy in any way, excellent and praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. And then he takes it a step further. And this is the step that I said from the very beginning of the message, I'm uncomfortable with whatever, because he says, whatever you learn to receive from me or seen in me, put it into practice. I'm uncomfortable with that. And any of us who have an ounce of humility should be uncomfortable with that because we recognize if somebody follows me, they're going to be just as prone to make the mistakes that I make. And I know how prone I am to dwell on things I shouldn't. But the minute I start to go down that path, what am I dwelling on? (laughs) I'm dwelling on a frustration. Very good, Zachary. I'm dwelling on my own frustration. Oh, how unworthy I am. Oh, how awful a human I am. Oh, I can never live up to God's standards. Oh, God is so harsh. Right? I'm beginning to, or, or I'm just such a poor human. Like, God is so good and I'm so unworthy. It's a challenge to hear Paul confidently say that. Paul was human too. Paul made mistakes too, I'm sure. But what he's trying to help the Philippians do is say, okay, there are ways to mature in your relationship with God so there's less and less and less of that. And guess what? It's not dependent on how much effort you put in. It's not dependent on how much effort you put in. It involves fixing your beliefs, right? At the beginning, we talked about that. What do we believe? It involves what you keep, what do you dwell on, Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is true. And notice he moves from the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds to the peace of God will be with you. So in the first part, what we believe, the peace of God, when we have a a gratitude towards God, that peace of God transcends our understanding and it guards our hearts and it guards our minds. I did that in reverse, didn't I? Guards our hearts. (laughs) guards. This is like, you know, whatever. So... But it guards our hearts, guards our minds, but then he says, if we dwell on the things that are good, right, and true, then that peace of God is with us, comes into every circumstance we're in, impacts every aspect of our day, and conceivably impacts those around us. And that's why he can then say, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice because he's been doing that and he's been allowing God's good purpose to happen in their lives and he's encouraging them to do the same. So that brings us, to, let, me, let me summarize the phrase this way. What I think on directly affects the peace I keep. What I think on, what I let my mind dwell on directly affects the, key, the peace I keep or the peace that is with me. I'm not going to answer all the ways in which we, how do we do this? Because I'm still figuring it out. It'll probably take all of us the rest of our lives to figure it out. But there is one thing here that is somewhat simple. And it's the next thing that Paul calls out. Because it's great to have our beliefs lined up with what's true. It's great to have our minds dwelling on the things that are good, right, and true and to have the peace of God to sustain us as the things go up and down in this world. But there's another piece of this, P-I-E-C-E, there's another piece of this that's essential, and it is the hardest one for us to do. Look at what he says in verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the great secret of of being content in any and every circumstance or situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ. Who gives me strength. So he, he sidebars a little bit, again, to their specific circumstance and his specific circumstance. This is a period of up and down. I mean, Paul, in and out of prison, probably, and then in prison until he dies, all because of spreading the gospel. The Philippian church, certainly having their own challenges in community and in the broader community. And he says, look, there's all the up and downs, right? And we can get the thinking right. We can get the belief right. But the only way to be content, the only way to settle it in every circumstance is to understand this one thing. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Remember that third piece from last week, who do we trust? Do we do this in our own strength? Do we try to just manage it well enough? Do we try to just, or do we sort of give up and be like, well, if God really wants me to, he'll, (laughs) I mean, there's two sides of that coin too we can say that we you know we're going to do this i'm going to i'm going to get my behavior i'm going to set i'm going to set a track and i'm going to exercise well and I'm gonna keep myself disciplined i'm going to put these little post it notes around my work area and i'm going to every time something happens i'm going to look at that post it note and i'm going to quote that scripture and we try to do it as a matter of discipline we try to do it as a matter that's that's not bad that's good to discipline our minds and to take thoughts captive and to keep them aligned to what is good right and true it's good for us to double check what we're hearing and make sure that it lines up with what we believe and what we know to be true but there's only so much of that effort on our own that's going to make a difference. And the opposite is, you know, the other side of that coin is, a well, you know, if God really wants me to pay attention to it, he'll drop it right in front of me. If God really wants me to pay attention, there'll be a billboard, or, you know, he'll hit me on the head with a two-by-four. You know, where we're expecting God to do all of it. That's that's another side of it. You know, where God will, well, God will tell me. But that's not the kind of trusting that Paul's talking about. There is a settled belief that Paul has. Remember the attitude piece? A settled belief, typically reflected in one's actions. Paul's settled belief, God is able. That sounds simple, but let that sink in. God is able. Even if the circumstance seems huge, even if God has not responded the way we'd like him to in the past to similar situations, he's still able. Let me say it this way God's ability is my stability. When we talk about who do you trust, if you trust anyone or anything that is temporal, that could die, be burnt down, stolen, broken, whatever, in any way, shape, or form, then your stability is based on something temporary and it is going to crash. It is going to fail. It is going to fall apart. But if your stability is based on God's ability and the knowledge of who he is, what he can do, and the trust that whatever happens, it is not beyond his control, then his ability is your stability. You will be able to walk through that, and no matter what happens, you will know his peace is guarding your heart and your mind. You will know he is near and his peace is with you. And you will be able to stand firm because you are trusting his ability, not yours, not somebody else's, not a governor's, not your boss, not a coworker, not a student, not a doctor. Now, we have all of these things in our lives, and I'm not saying they're bad. And there are times where God works through them to his good purpose. Because that's their giftedness. That's how he's wired them. And that's good. But we don't trust their ability. Even when we're trusting their expertise. Right? We trust God's ability. Because their expertise may be good, but they could be wrong. God's ability. is my stability. So if we want to have an attitude of gratitude, sum it up this way. Paul says, look, if you want to have an attitude of gratitude, I I encourage you to go back and like plaster Philippians 4 in front of every moment of the day and work yourself through these sections every single time any circumstance you're, you're encountering or maybe daily you just set your mind on these things before you go into to work or the fray of whatever it is you face on a daily basis but the first one what i believe that the peace from god follows my gratitude towards god the second one what i think affects the peace that i keep so if i don't have my mind set right on thanking god for what's already happened and what he's already done i'm going to forget that and then i'm not going to keep the peace because I'm not thinking about the right things, I'm thinking about the broken things, I'm thinking about the frustrating things, and my emotions are getting wrapped around that, and then I'm gonna to start to go, is God even able, or does he even care to impact my situation? You see how quickly it just goes right down that path. Instead of saying, no, my God has come through before. He will come through again. No matter how dark the situation, he will be with me again. He has promised he would never leave or forsake me. I don't care how messed up I have been, I don't care how many decisions I've made that are poor, God is faithful. He will come through. What is true? He has said that He loves me, that He cares for me, that even when I was still against Him, He was for me. All of these things are true, and if I can hold on to those, He is able. Now I just need to position myself with that understanding and let Him do what He is able to do. See, we can't can't whip this up. There's things we can keep our minds set on. There's things we can do to discipline ourselves. Those are all important. Those are all good. But at the end of the day, do we really trust God? Do we have a settled way of thinking that is demonstrated in the way we behave because we know he is able? I'm going to leave that as a question to hang with you this week. Do you know God is able? And if you're wrestling with that, I encourage you, go back through this and say, okay, what am I grateful for? I mean, you did it in 30 seconds. You were able to come up with a list. But why doesn't that list stir your emotions? Why doesn't it? Is it because you think you did those things? Do you think those things happen because of random chance? Or do you think God was able? God brought that And if I'm able to see that, then maybe even some of the adversity that God does bring into my life to correct and to challenge me, maybe I can be grateful for that. It's not just a frustration, oh, I hate when I have to do this, blah, 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 and I got to learn patience again. Maybe it's like, God, thank you for another opportunity to be patient. I know, that sounds so weird. And even, come, even trying to say it, Barb, I can see it on your face. Like Even me trying to say it was like, thank you for it. You know, it just feels so fake. But that's, that's where we have to say, you know, God is able. God is able. I'm not, and so I'm going to trust him to work through that situation, and I'm going to leave that hang with you. Do you trust that he's able? My attitude determines the condition and the potential of my arrival. So next week, we're going to look, okay, real time, how do we let God be more of our altimeter? Uh, how do we let him give us the, the bearing adjustments? Are there things that we can go back to and say, what do we believe? What do we keep? Why should we trust him? I'm going to try and build in some of that just to kind of be a takeaway for us in the final week to say, you know, here's the promises that God has given us in scripture. Here's the things that he said he will do. He has done. But during this week, I just want you to take some time and let it settle in. Do we trust him? Do we not? Don't don't let guilt be on top of that. If it's a guilt that drives you to him, that's okay. Okay but don't let guilt and shame be a part of it in a way that you're like, oh, well, i don't know, kicking the tires on my faith and blah, blah, blah. And you just Don't do that. Just be honest. Be honest. And for those of us who maybe been committed in this direction for a while, be honest with yourself. How many circumstances have I dwelt on the frustrations instead of saying, you know what? I need to be able to see the good in this. And What is God's good purpose that he's doing? Because he's able. He has to be doing something in this. Take the time to do that. And if other people around you are chattering and they're dwelling on the frustrations, eh, go get a cup of coffee. Find another place to be for a little while. And then come back to it and say, no, I, I know God is able. Maybe even take a moment and start to pray and be like, you know what, God, I hear that frustration. What's your good purpose for that? And then and then be like, okay, so what, what's the good purpose? Like, God, help me imagine, what's your good purpose in this? And then when it comes, be like, God, I'm asking for that. I'm asking for that good purpose in their life. Instead of getting caught into the drama, drive it towards his good purpose. And I'm getting off on a whole nother message, so let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for the corrective and encouraging reminder. You are near. That gives me great pause in correcting the way that I see things and the way that I respond to things, but it also gives me great confidence because even when your voice is saying, stop doing that, your arms are around me saying, I love you. Wherever we are apart from you and what we're thinking, and what we're keeping, wherever we're not dwelling on the things that reflect who you are and what you've done, and wherever we do not trust you, that you are able. God, would you take this week, bring those things to the foreground for us so that we can lean, we can, we can lay those things aside and lean into you. We thank you, God, that you, like Paul, Paul demonstrating it, you care about our development. You care about our growth and our maturity, and you waste nothing. Help us to trust you in that this week, Lord, even as you show us the places you want to grow us. Thank you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.